Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And we're going to kick right in on a topic we've talked about before, uh, about the microbial legions that live inside us, Mm -hmm. about our growing uh, uh, revelation that uh, it's not just us versus bacteria it's us and bacteria it's not and and then you even get into this weird area where it's really hard to define what us really is yeah actually there have uh, been a bunch of um Articles that have come out to talk about this mm-hmm. idea. And we've, we've discussed this as well. We we've talked about more specific to the gut. Yeah. We discussed this in the uh, the, the kids' uh, stuff to play your kids' mind. Boy, it's, it's early. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I'm trouble remembering the things that we did just a month we, ago. We talk about bacteria all the time, I yeah. think, is what you're saying. Uh, but more specific to, um, you know, perhaps diseases or the gut and how it affects our moods. Um, but, yeah, there's been a bunch of data that has come out, um, and this is out of something called the Human Microbiome Project, which is very similar to the Human Genome Project. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But there's this idea that bacteria just isn't getting the respect that it deserves, that that it is more like a, um, a microbiome uh, Organ, like we should look at this as an organ in our body, this this team um, of bacteria that lives within us, as opposed to like, oh yeah, we've got some bacteria on us. It's it's yeah. hitching a ride. And and so far, our studies have have more or less fallen in line with that line of thinking, mm-hmm. because uh, like previously, we just we didn't give bacteria much thought. Then we thought, oh, bacteria is the enemy. And then we started looking a little closer at saying, well, let's look at uh, at fecal bacteria and uh, and in uh, with the hope of understa- better understanding various intestinal situations, let's look at um, the, the, the mouth bacteria of a normal person. But there, but there hasn't been until now this uh, this real effort to understand our microbiome uh, as as a whole. It's to, to really understand the the microbes inside us, like you say, as this this entity. Right. That, that is uh, doing so much more than we ever could have imagined. Uh, but let's talk about it first as, as the enemy, because this has really been our history with bacteria, uh, at least in the modern world. Yeah, this um, we, we get into this, this area where, all right, we recognize that bacteria can and does do destructive things to the human body. So we need a weapon to fight it, right? So we end up using this thing called... Uh, Triclosan, which is pretty crazy, uh, created more than 40 years ago, surgical scrub for hospitals, mm-hmm. so heavy-duty stuff, right? And, but it's in, it shows up in a range of consumer products, everything from liquid soap to bar soap to toothpaste to acne ointments, deodorant, mouthwash, you name it, pretty much any... Socks. Socks, even. <laughs> like, what's it doing in socks? Uh, it's it's everywhere to the po- to the point that uh, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention found that the chemical is present in the urine of seventy five percent of Americans over the age of five. So we are such as our obsession with cleanliness. Yeah, it's like we're fighting the war so uh, enthusiastically that we're, we've just saturated our bodies with this uh, with this substance. Yeah, and there have been uh, a couple of studies that show that triclosan may alter hormone regulation, in, in lab animals at least, or cause antibiotic resistance. And that's the big problem we have, right? Because we've got superbugs emerging, mm-hmm. like uh, Clostridium, Clostridium uh, difficile, which is uh, a superbug that is in hospitals. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of people who go in for procedures sometimes get Not to this. be confused with Chuck Clostridium. Which is can yeah. also be uh, nice. kind of intense. 
Nice. Um, but that that's actually something that's extremely debilitating and um, people really suffer for years and years afterward. I mean, if, if you happen to be very elderly or very young, there's a possibility that you could die from it. And But just to bring in bacteria back into the fold here, um, I think if everybody remembers, we talked about something called fecal transplants, which actually are helping people with C. diff. Um, that they contracted in the hospital and replenishing their, their bad uh, or their worn-out gut flora with really good bacteria. Yeah. Um, so we've had clues along the way that bacteria isn't, you know... And just to rehash on bad. that, every, everyone has probably wondered at one point or another, what is poop, right? What is it? What is poop, and, Robert? And as it turns out, a, a, a lot of poop is, uh, is actually bacteria. It's not food or food waste particularly as much as it is bacteria. Yeah. So the the idea here is you you end up with a an imbalance in the bacterial uh, population inside your uh, intestines, and uh, to to set things right, you get some uh, get a nice healthy stool sample, uh, inject that into your system, uh, specifically into your intestines, not just anywhere. But uh, don't it, try this at home on yeah, your own, by the way. Have it professionally done, um, and only if uh, if needed. Uh, but uh, the idea is you get some healthy fecal matter in there mm-hmm. to restore equilibrium with that bacterial population. Right, because it turns out the gut is really stuffed with a ton of bacteria, and adults actually carry two to five pounds of bacteria. Did you know that? Like yeah, your weight is made up of two yeah. to five pounds of bacteria. Like um, you can think of it in terms of, uh, like I think of it in terms of, say, the population in a in a wooded area. All right. Um, oh well, we don't like uh, we don't like coyotes. Coyotes are bad, so we wipe out right. a whole bunch of coyotes. Now there's nothing to eat. Uh, the, the animal, the coyotes aren't a good example. Let's say wolves. Wolves are bad. They're going to eat our livestock. Let's wipe out the wolves. All right, now what's going to eat, say, the deer? Now there are deer everywhere. Deer are showing up in our yards and running into our cars. What are we going to do about the deer? That Things get out of balance with these uh, these carefully maintained and evolved environments uh, con- con- that contain multiple uh, players. That's right, and, and things begin to behave differently. And uh, you can look at that sort of analogy within your own microbiome, right? Because mm-hmm. each of us, it turns out, and we'll talk a little bit more about these revelations that have come from this biome, uh, microbiome project, but each of us has our very own particular sort of uh, set of bacteria. Yes, this, this really blew my mind a bit because we've discussed in the past how if you look at the, the, the micro uh, uh, environment of say a, um, a Japanese individual versus mm-hmm. a, a, like especially a typical American individual like a typical Japanese um, individual is is eating a lot of seafood uh, they're having a lot of uh, a lot of seaweed and so, so they have this this environment inside of them that is the result of that that is that is patterned to um, to roll with that and then the average American of course is eating um, Cheeseburgers, and it's a so we have cheeseburger uh, gut bacteria, right? And and so meant to break that down specifically. Yes, yeah, so, so we knew already that that if you put these two environments side by side, you were going to see some significant differences. Mm-hmm. But it turns out it's even more widespread than that. Everyone's uh, um, bacterial environment is like a snowflake or like a fingerprint. Mm-hmm. Each one is different. So yeah, yours is different from mine, and, yeah. and mine from from you listening. Which makes sense because everyone's uh, everyone's personal history is a little bit different. Everyone's diet is a little bit different. Like right. even within households where two individuals share the same diet, uh, there are going to be other factors that uh, skew things. Yeah, and just to let's do a quick review too of what beneficial bacteria is and how we really are outnumbered. Um, we're talking about 100 trillion good bacteria 
that is uh, dwelling within, dwelling inside of us, and we are really just the wrappers uh, for mm. the contents. With a W. Yeah, yeah. rappers. Uh, yeah, and sometimes we are rappers, but uh, but really, I mean, we're just the rappers for this content, for yeah. this bacterial content. Uh, you know, we are outnumbered our own cells that you know we're we're born with uh, ten to one when it comes to bacterial cells. Yeah, this it was it was crazy. I think it was the, the New York uh, Times article we were looking at where the they quoted a, a scientist where they were they were said, well, from the bacteria's point of view, we're just the wrappers for their to the yeah. environment. Yeah, and uh, so we're we're kind of these uh, from that that point of view, we're we're kind of the uh, the parasite in a sense. Well, uh, yeah, I mean the table has been turned when you look at it that way. And and there was another researcher that said, you know, when you look in the mirror, what you're seeing is a bacterial composition, hmm. really, because well, that you, makes our it sound kind of pretty. It, Kind of pretty, is it? You said, yeah, yeah. It's like it's a bacterial composition, not just a. Uh, but I guess in reality, it's a little, a little more Pollock, uh, Jackson Pollock, than anything. I don't know. I've, I've seen pointillism there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean this this idea that what you're looking at in the mirror is largely bacterial and not what you think of as your own. So again, this makes us sort of step back and say, well, what is? Let, let's redefine this relationship we have to bacteria. Um, we know that it helps to keep us healthy. Um, yeah, we know that it helps to break down food, um, mm-hmm. helps to inspire our immune system. But right, there's, there's plenty of food we just would not be able to eat if we did not have this bacterial environment. Right, but the finding, findings of this uh, microbiome project seem to point to a much more uh, important function for our body. In fact, the evidence is mounting that we just truly could not exist without all of this bacteria teeming within us. But it's a symbiotic relationship then, yeah. Yeah. And, and we, we discussed some of this in our... Um, our stuff to blow your kids' mind video about the, the microbes that, that live inside us, um, and because you you get into looking at like the symbiotic relationships. All right, so there are all these tiny little players that, uh, when working together in harmony, allow for this greater picture uh, of of uh, uh, to uh, to rise to the surface. Mm-hmm. And you compare that to the human body itself, in which you have all these tiny players working in in even greater unity to produce the life form that. Uh, we experience every day. Yeah, and I mean, we talked about it too, just other examples, like you've got shrimp that have, um, you know, this bacteria that basically helps to, like a car wash for the shrimp. Right. Which is great, because it keeps, you know, the shrimp from um, getting any sort of other diseases, bacteria, it keeps the shrimp nice and clean, and, you know, then the bacteria get something scrumptious to eat off the shrimp's back, presumably. Shrimp are um, amazing creatures. They really are. Yeah. They, they, uh, they should have their own... Podcast devoted they to should. them. Radio Lab did a recent episode on colors that I recommend everyone uh, listen to. And there's a section on the mantis shrimp and its amazing eyes. Oh, so. okay. I was, I was thinking that it was more about how it affects uh, coloration of birds when they eat shrimp or even their, well, their that, fecal matter. Know, there's, yeah. there's that. There, there are all sorts of weird, like we think of shrimp as, oh, they're the, they're the thing that shows up uh, on the barbecue. You know, you think this passive little creature. They're the bottom dwellers. Yeah, you know, but there's some the ferocious shrimp out there with uh, like like built-in sonic boxing gloves. Or, anyway, <laughs> don't get me started on shrimp. Yeah, back, back to the bacteria. Let's talk about this project, this microbiome project. Uh, we're talking about a five-year study, basically, uh, um, with 200 scientists at 80 different institutions. This is a tremendous effort. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all pulling together to try to map bacterial genes in individuals using some of the same technology that the Human Genome Project used. And what they're trying to do here 
or what they've begun to do is to find a baseline of healthy bacteria in individuals. Because in the past, we have looked at uh, bacteria in individuals, but more related to, as you had pointed out, like Crohn's disease or other um, diseases in which they were trying to figure out how this bacteria was working. Right, yeah. It's, we've we've uh, initiated these studies with a, with a certain particular um, uh, topic in mind. But their idea was, well, what is this supposed to look like in a healthy individual? Yeah, let's not just, instead of feeling one portion of the elephant, let's try and, and trying to guess what it is, let's, let's look at the elephant. Yeah, and so initially they had 600 subjects that they were going to uh, try to run through this process, ages 18 to 40. And they had everyone from dentist to gynecologist checking mm-hmm. out, 600 probing. people, probing, you, you name it. Yeah, because, I mean, it turns out it's actually kind of hard to find someone who is, quote-unquote, perfectly healthy. Right. I mean, the, not to you know to get all gothic on everybody, but you know the second you're born, you start to fall apart. So, um, <laughs> how do you find somebody who has who has who you still has it to some degree altogether? Robert Bummer Lamb. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it got this this sample um, of of people actually got whittled down to 242, and this is what I thought uh, was amazing. Of these 242 people, 80 percent of them still had to be treated mm-hmm. for either gum disease or cavities. Yeah. So as you say, not you know you just kind of you know, start to fall apart. And to quote um, Tina Fey, the mouth dies first. So, uh, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, so in addition to stool samples and saliva of these 242 people, women were swabbed in 18 different places on their bodies while men were swabbed in 15. And we're talking uh, the crook of the arm, folds in the ear, uh, for a vagina, uh, for vaginas, for women, their vaginas, like mm-hmm. three different places. And this is really important because it turns out that the bacteria in um the vagina is probably some of the most powerful in terms of the immune system and immune functions, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, but yeah, head to toe, these people were swabbed so that they could get this complete picture of what bacteria looks like in a person. And so they end up um, with about 3.5 terabases of data mm-hmm. to examine, lots and lots of data. Yeah, and uh, a terabase is one trillion subunits of DNA. So we're talking about a mountain here. Uh, they had something like 11,000 or more than 11,000 samples, and they ended up, I believe, running about 5,000 samples through, which took about 2 million computer hours to, to run these data sets. Um, and just to give everybody a scope of what a huge project this is, this is a $173 million project. And what they're trying to do is they, they teased apart bacterial genes from human genes, and then they could really get into the specifics of what they were seeing. So they really set out to to justify the ways of bacteria to man, really, to get all Milton-y on it. Yes, yeah. yes. I believe that was actually in their abstract. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, all right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we are going to tell you some amazing things about the bacteria that is dwelling inside you right now. All right, we're back. So, yeah, there is a lot of bacteria living inside each of us, uh, to the point where it, it even gets a little tricky to say it's living inside us. It is living with it's us. It's part of us. Know, it's part of us. It's, uh, it's in a, a symbiotic state. Uh, it is enmeshed. Hard with, to say where we end and it begins. Exactly, exactly. 10,000 species of microbes in each of us. That is what they, they discovered, one of the discoveries from this project, uh, which, again, is lending credence to this idea that it's a microbial organ mm-hmm. within us, and we should start to look at it as that, as opposed to, oh, this, mic- this bacteria jumped on us and it's just hitching a ride. Um, it is it is acting on us and within us, um, 
and as you say, it is a very symbiotic process. Yeah, you have 22,000 human genes, 8 million bacterial genes, and it's and it's specialized in the area it resides in. So you have like the, the Queen's bacteria is going to going to really roll with its uh, particular neighborhood, whereas the Bronx bacteria is a slightly <laughs> different thing. You can't take one from, yeah. the, from the other, switch places, and expect uh, uh, them to just fit right in. Well, and the other uh, analogies have been like, you know, one part of you could be more like a um, the Amazon rainforest, mm-hmm. while the other is like, you know, an ocean or an, desert, even another, yeah. yeah, you know, the Sahara Desert. Um, and I had talked about the bacteria swabs that were taken from the vagina, and it turns out that that bacteria in there is is very, very active. And, in fact, it turns... Um, the vagina is the jungle in this scenario, then. Yeah, or the rainforest, perhaps. The rainforest. Um, it turns conditions a bit acidic mm-hmm. um, in its environment, and the idea is that that kind of keeps other foreign bacteria out. And that would make sense because this is, you know, this is an area of the body that um, that could cultivate bad bacteria. I'm mm-hmm. putting that in quotes uh, really easily, right? It's damp, moist, you know, easy to fester in. And it's also the first bacterial environment that a newborn, uh, at least a, a newborn that experiences vaginal birth, is exposed to. It's like a, and it is. It, we discuss this a little in the um, the video uh, for kids. Of course, uh, but but when sounds the vagina talk. Yeah, uh, but when a child is born uh, via vaginal birth, it is it's basically a baptism of bacteria. Mm-hmm. They are they they're going from this clean, pristine environment where they're, they're this single creature, and then they are just bombarded with this bacterial invasion. Okay, and check this out: when a woman becomes pregnant, the bacteria in her vagina changes, presumably hmm. um, in anticipation of this child that will be going through the canal and getting this beneficial bacteria to begin life with. So it is that's when I start to say this is far more ingrained than our thoughts of well, it just helps us to break down food. Yeah, it's like no, this it's actually is not a side is. note. It's it's uh, playing a vital role. Yeah, this is part of the blueprint. And so when a child is not of woman born, when uh, when a child is born via cesarean uh, section, you have a slightly different scenario going on, right? You you end up with a a, a rather different uh, bacterial right. baptism, right? And that's one of the things that scientists want to try to answer. If if you are born via cesarean and you have a different microbiome, how does that affect you, or does it affect you in your adult years? Yeah. Um, do you have a, a different way of fighting um, disease or mm-hmm. illness? Are you yeah. more likely to slay Macbeth? That kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that is also in the abstract. Yeah. Um, so this is really, I think, very amazing information to know that that, that bacteria is acting on this level. Um, here's another thing that, that came out of this is that uh, researchers found genetic signatures of disease-causing bacterial strains in everyone's microbiome. So what I say, what I'm saying here is, and we've all known um, to some degree that that we all carry staff, for instance, or some of us uh, carry staff. Um, but we're, we're perfectly fine. We're hanging out with it. And then some other people can come into contact with us, and then they get a staph infection. So um, that that is no secret. But the extent of some of these disease-causing bacteria that dwells within us, that was not really known. Yeah. So you have this idea of all this good, beneficial bacteria uh, within us hanging out with the bad bacteria, presumably tamping it down. 
it's the difference between saying, oh, well, occasionally a, um, a murderer a- appears in society, uh, towards uh, the difference between that and saying, oh, well, there are, in, there are innumerable, uh, potential murderers that just don't pop up that are, that are somehow kept in check by other, uh, forces in society and culture. And, uh, it, uh, I, I draw a comparison here because it's, uh, the, the idea that we have a lot of these harmful bacteria in us, but if things are in the right balance, Right. Then they're not going to be an issue. It's when things get out of balance or, um, or systems are, are disrupted that, uh, things can get a little hairy. And that's why, uh, researchers, scientists, doctors from every discipline are really kind of backing up and looking at this data and, uh, reconstructing their ideas based on it. And of mm-hmm. course, as we go more and more through the data and find, more uh, things to substantiate some of the perhaps theories um, or hunches, we'll probably find out how bacteria is actually affecting us. But as you say, um, you know, on this one level, it, it's, it begins to look like uh, that it's not actually pathogens that are creating illness and disease, but with perhaps something like diabetes, it could be a miscommunication with the bacteria. Mm-hmm. So normally our bacteria, we begin to think of this as, as really, um, you know, communicating with our cells and keeping us healthy. It could be that there is this miscommunication with bacteria that instead of defending it against the pathogen, allows the cells that make insulin in the body to be killed. Um, and that really kind of makes you back up and go, okay, well, Let's think about antibiotics. Uh, we know that it can wipe out your gut flora, at least, presumably mm-hmm. the rest of your body, too. Um, and there are some reports. And it can take yeah, a while for you to recover four from years, that. Yeah. Four years to build up your good flora. So then you have this idea of, like, what are these other agents that are acting on us that are disturbing this balance, as you say, of good bacteria? And this idea that that balance or the imbalance that could be creating uh, disease within us. So we going forward, we, we, we could reach the point where we look back on our use of um, of antibiotics, mm-hmm. and it'll it'll basically be the equivalent of say carpet bombing a city that may have uh, insurgents in it or or some sort of terrorist activity in it, yeah. versus the idea of using a much more targeted method of removing a uh, a hostile uh, bacteria. Yeah, carpet bomb versus drone. Yeah, right? um, not so- that drone is completely worked out. Uh, means, exactly. But, yeah, but still the the. Uh, the, uh, the the comparison um, holds true. Yeah. Uh, so this this uh, gives us the idea that perhaps this sort of knowledge this and again we're at the tip of the iceberg here under this huge data mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, this knowledge could help us to perhaps curb debilitating diseases before they happen. That that's one of the hopes. Um, and then it will answer some of these questions of why some of us are more susceptible to disease while others. Um, just seem to be able to to really ride things out or, you know, are much more healthier when it comes to being bombarded by uh, pathogens. Yeah. Again, I, I think I, I brought this up the last time we discussed uh, micro... I, mean, I think it was actually with parasites, but uh, I, I'm reminded of the episode of the American version of The Office where uh, Dwight is uh, fired or Dwight quits and then all the plants in the office yeah. die because yeah. no one realized that Dwight was the one watering them all. And uh, and so you, you look at these examples where people are, are realizing, oh well, this thing that we thought was a parasite was really more of a uh, had more of a symbiotic relationship with us. Uh, this bacteria that we thought was bad turns out it's part of a careful balance that had, that uh, that has built up over millions of years. Uh, so 
The Dwight's so, true to yeah, yeah, yeah. So we should respect that the Dwight's within us. Yeah, I think is what because you're watering the plants. Yeah. Um, what I think is really interesting about this is the potential to for for further st- study because what we're talking about here are 242 individuals who largely Caucasian coming mm. from two cities. St. Louis and Houston, I believe. Yeah, so, so you know that's, that's some cheeseburger eaters right there. There's some cheeseburger eaters. Um, what if you could get a sample across all cultures across the world? Of course, we're talking about an insane amount of data that probably wouldn't uh, we couldn't go through in our lifetime. But what if you could start to really map this out in earnest uh, across the world and begin to really see a picture, uh, a better picture of what it is to be human, uh, what it is to be someone who is battling disease. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Huh. It's exciting. It is. Speaking of uh, microbes and cheeseburgers uh, and the gut, uh, there's, a, there's a restaurant in Atlanta called Gutbusters. Are you familiar with this? Yes. And they have, um, they have this grotesque sign. Uh, it's like hand-painted or hand-airbrushed or something like this guy eating this big grotesque sandwich. But uh, that would be interesting to study uh, individuals who eat uh, Gutbusters, which I think is some sort of a uh, Philly cheesesteak thing with cheese whiz on it. Um, I did a little research. I'm not a Philly cheesesteak guy, but uh, have I ever have I ranted about this before? I feel like I have yeah. some sort of memory for Philly cheesesteak. Well, you, you, hating this. you tune into these various food shows, and a lot of them, really get, you know, they ask these food, uh, these foodies and chefs, like, what's your favorite meal in this city, in this city, in this city? And a lot of the times they end up narrowing in on a, a particular Philly cheesesteak or Philly cheesesteak style sandwich in a, in a given city, mm-hmm. some sort of kind of gross-looking meat and cheese sandwich. And it's not the kind of thing that appeals to me, but a, a lot of people are really militant about their, their Philly cheesesteak sandwiches and some people were really militant about the necessity of having cheese whiz on there um anyway i'm just wondering what does that do to the 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 inner you and is the gut buster um moniker is that does that is that real is it actually bust your gut does it does it somehow invade your gut with even more microbes than before i don't know or maybe well okay well the pessimist in me too thinks like once we get the information about how the food is truly affecting us and Mm -hmm. this bacterial colony uh, within us that we're not really going to change our ways what's going to happen is that you're going to get some sort of crazy probiotic milkshake to go with it to break it down better you know it's like hey five thousand strains (laughs) of microbes 2.99 you get your gut buster and your uh, biotic shake there you go. Yeah. The future. Well, speaking of the future, let's call the robot over and uh, get a little listener mail here. Um, so we heard from our listener, Jeffrey, uh, and he was uh, writing in about the um, the aquatic sounds episode that we did, and he wanted to share his own experiences uh, with listening to things in the swimming pool, um, uh, particularly on uh, to what degree sound is muffled and to what degree it's clear. Um because we, uh, we we discussed in that podcast that there there are underwater hearing for humans is different. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a slightly different thing. There, so some sounds are going to be uh, are going to sound muffled and are not get, you're not going to be able to hear things underwater quite like you hear above water. But other sounds are going to be very sharp. So Jeffrey writes in and says uh, the mid range is muffled, but as far as what's going on in the water, you can hear some things more crisply. When I'm resting on my back in the pool at the gym, I can hear every pop of every knee and joint near and far. The longer I lay there after a swim watching the clouds go by, I hope he means the clouds in the sky because when I the swim laps, I see clouds and strings of things that I don't like to think about floating through the water. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, so hopefully, uh, yeah, atmospheric clouds, clouds yes. not, not clouds. Um, 
Watching the clouds go by, the more I hear the pops of joints until it sounds like 20 people constantly breaking matchsticks with the, uh, with the, with the uh, sound turned up. In fact, not only can I clearly hear the clicks, I can clearly hear the echo. I know that out of the water I wouldn't hear this even in the most quiet room. If that Olympic-sized pool were empty and I were laying there, there is no way I could hear a woman's leg or arm or spine pop from 30 feet away, unlike seven hours ago. Um, so... There you go. Wow, that's like a Oh, wait, no, seven hours ago, was he, he said this on Facebook. So. Oh, gotcha. In fact, maybe I cut that off. Anyway, we got to the meat of what Jeffrey had to say. And, it's uh, like an aquatic misophonia. Yeah. You know? So for anybody who does have misophonia, don't swim in a gym pool that is uh, at, at the uh, rush hour. Yeah, and the other interesting thing about, about that is if you were to, were to swim and you did not like the sounds you were hearing, good luck shutting it off because it's not, you can't just stick some earplugs in because you're hearing with your skull. It's a bone connectivity hearing, so it's a, it's an entirely different uh, scenario. Although there are underwater MP3 players. There are. Mm-hmm. But, so yeah. that would be your best bet is to somehow block it out. Yeah. But so. still, the sound waves are going to hit your skull and reverberate no matter what. Uh, let's uh, look at this other email. This one is from Lizzie, and this was pretty exciting because uh, we just did this episode, The Horror, where we talked uh, we talked about the science of of being afraid, of, of being frightened, and mm-hmm. then why we like it, why we get addicted to it in many cases. And we talked a little bit about things that we find scary. Um, chlorophobia. Chlorophobia. I think that? that's fear of plants. Fear of clowns. Yes, yes. You, you, we brought it. You brought up the fear of clowns, and and I kind of defended clowns to a certain point, uh, and. Can, and and uh, and at least offended some of them. And yeah, you brought out up that, hobos. Yeah, like, like hobo, hobo clowns. clowns like that's supposed to be comforting. And these people, yeah. And uh, so we actually heard from a listener who is a clown, mm-hmm. um, literally. <laughs> and uh, Lizzie writes and says, "I'm writing to defend clowns in your horror podcast. I am a clown, and I'm not scary at all. Actually, uh, think of myself as adorable. And indeed, she sent a photo, and you have to admit she's a pretty adorable clown mm-hmm. with makeup." Mm-hmm. Um, she says, and it's funny to me that all these kids uh, say that clowns are scary because I've had quite the opposite experience. I have been a nanny for the last two years, and the girls I watch absolutely love that I'm a clown. The oldest one would brag to her friends, so when I uh, went to drop her off and pick, and, and pick her up, kids were asking me to do tricks or do some clowny, <laughs> and I would do a small uh, impromptu performance on the playground. And it was fun, and I've never uh, made a kid cry to this day. I even did a performance at one of the girls' birthday parties uh, in costume and with a clown nose on. However, some kids cried when the dad dressed up as Ilmo <laughs> and came out to terrify the children. Uh, well, that wasn't his intent, but that's what happened. Also, here's a video of one of the best clowns in the country, Avner the Eccentric, and he doesn't have any clown make- makeup um, on at all, and he's fantastic. Um, and indeed, I, I watched the. Did you watch this clip? I didn't have time to this morning, okay. but you described it to me. Yeah, he. Uh, it's really interesting because he has kind of a. Uh, He's like an older dude, and he has a, has a big bushy beard. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in a little bit, he looks like the who was it? Was it Red Green? The Red Green show, the Canadian show about the that was on PBS. Kind of that kind of mentality, you know, kind of a prospector looking beard. Uh, does not have clown makeup on, like she says. And his act uh, reminds me like a little bit of uh, like an Emmett Kelly kind of hobo clown kind of thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of his uh, material seemed to revolve around eating. Uh, but then there's also a miming kind of uh, Charlie Chaplin vibe to what he's doing. So I found it really interesting because it, it seemed like like maybe it's a res- to a certain extent, it's uh, like clowns reclaiming 
their territory. Okay, and, but there's no grease paint is what I'm hearing. There's no grease paint, but but he doesn't need it. It's, in a way, it's kind of... Uh, Big shoes? Um, I didn't know. I don't know if I could see his feet. Okay. But a lot of napkin eating. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So, so Julie is still not convinced. But I'm gonna check it out. We can we can talk about it on the next podcast. Uh, okay. But I do. I like this idea that um, maybe there's this return to this original sense of what it is to clown. And take it out of the, this other darker realm that I seem to think of. Yeah, it. take it back to we were talking earlier about the Commedia dell'arte. You know, and yeah, there's, there's some rich uh, roots to clown. Maybe we should actually do an episode on clowning. I don't know how we get into the science all that much, but Commedia dell'arte. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks, Lizzie, for letting us know about that. Uh, if any of you would like to uh, powwow with us and share some insight on underwater sounds, on clowning, on the bacteria that live inside your gut. Uh, let us know about it. You can uh, connect with us on Facebook by just typing in Stuff to Blow Your Mind. You'll find us there. Um, if, you, if you haven't looked us up there, look us up. Give us a like. Uh, the more fans we have, the more people we can reach. And we, we try and update that with, you know, not just shills for stuff that we've done and stuff we're doing, but, like, just cool links that we come across, videos that are, you know, doing it for us, that kind of thing. And uh, you can also find us on Twitter where our handle is Blow the Mind. And we'll actually try to post that video, too, um, that Lizzie sent. Yes. So everybody can weigh in on Facebook Yeah, I'll well. try and put that on the Facebook for sure. Yeah. Um, and you can always drop us a line at blowthemind at discovery.com. Discovery.